Our scripture reading today is taken from the book of Romans. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Romans 12, verse 2. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Amen. Uh, not too long ago, I uh, received an email from our pastor, and it said something like, be sure and open the email so that elders can check their schedule. For the pulpit and uh, you know I'm not uh, on top of the email thing so much so uh, I waited a little while before I opened it up and guess what and November 9th was my name well <clears throat> after I panicked a little bit it takes me a little while to put these things together I actually don't mind speaking it takes me a little while to put it together and uh, so as I was thinking about it, I uh, sent a, a rather encouraging email to my daughter and uh, told her about my predicament. And she said, uh, well, don't worry about it. I think I might have something. And I said, praise God. <laughs> so uh, today we're going to hear from my daughter, Haley. and happy Sabbath. I always find that the more wild my weeks get, the more I appreciate a day of rest and recovery, and I think that we can all appreciate that as well. Um, so I'm very happy to be here today. It's always a privilege to be here in this church, but especially at this pulpit, and it's something that I take very seriously, um, and certainly not something that I take for granted. So standing before you today, you know, I wouldn't come here and present something just for the sake of sharing good information. I wouldn't stand up here and present something that wasn't deeply personal for me and also something that I was deeply convicted of myself. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we have so much to be thankful for. We have so much to be grateful for in the way that you have led in our lives so far and the way that you will lead in the future. And I just ask right now today that you send your Holy Spirit to be with us this morning as we worship and that each one of us would receive the message that we were meant to receive this morning. And it may be different for each person, but I pray that whatever that message is today that you need each person to receive, that we would have the faith to, to take action on that. In your name I pray, amen. So when we get to this time of year, this sort of wintry time, uh, a lot of things start to change. First of all, the time does change, and we know that we have a situation where it gets darker a lot sooner. Uh, I've already had to scrape a sheet of ice off of my windshield. Uh, I've already gotten my big coat out <laughs> because it's gotten pretty chilly. Um, but a lot of things change, and it, it gets a little easier to hunker down inside. It's a little more difficult to have that same level of ambition that you might have in the summer. 
And so, you know, we're, we're in this transition period toward winter. And another thing that changes is the search trends online for things like motivation. You can see that in the winter time, searches for like, how do I stay motivated? How do I get more motivation? Um, things like that, it goes way up in the winter. And then in the summertime, it goes way down because people are naturally a little bit more motivated during that time of year. And you know, there's a lot of people online, you can find a lot of blog posts about motivation, um, how to stay motivated, finding ways to get you feeling good about whatever your goals are. And then you have influencers online who are actually paid to essentially keep you motivated toward whatever it is that you are looking to be motivated toward. And so there's this general premise out there that you need to have more motivation. So something, there's a catalyst that triggers that motivation and then you ride that out for as long as you can and then you tap into willpower essentially after the motivation dies. So then the next question is then, how do I get more willpower? Where does the willpower come from? And I've never really heard anybody answer that question exceptionally well. But I did read a book a couple of years ago. Um, someone by the name of Benjamin Hardy wrote this book. He's a psychologist. He writes a lot on various online platforms about lots of different lifestyle things. And he wrote a book called Willpower Doesn't Work. And I was intrigued by that title, and so I read it, and I thought it was a very interesting book, Willpower Doesn't Work. And so he describes in this book the idea that willpower is essentially like a muscle. So everyone has different reserves. You might have more willpower than someone else, or you might have less, but that eventually willpower runs out. It gets tired, and then you don't have it anymore. You get tired, and then it starts to fail. So for example, if we think about something that I think almost everyone can relate to um, at one point or other is trying to make a change to wake up earlier in the morning. A lot of people have, that's a common New Year's conviction or maybe you, you set new intentions or new um, resolutions every month or whatever your habit is, but a lot of people have said something like, I'm gonna wake up 30 minutes earlier than my normal wake up time and I'm going to either read, or I'm gonna exercise, or I'm gonna make a really good breakfast. A lot of people have set that, in, um, that goal. And so what generally happens is something triggered that motivation, you got really fired up that you wanna wake up early, myself included, and then you're, you're into it, you're really successful at first. Waking up, the alarm clock goes off, you get up, you're feeling good. But then on like day four, or maybe day eight or day 12, depending on how much willpower you happen to have at that time, the alarm goes off and then instead of waking up, you hit the snooze. So your willpower essentially ran out. And you know, we talk about that and it's like, well, why does that happen? You know, why can't I just stay motivated? Why can't I just keep the willpower to do the thing that I said I was going to do? And the reason is because willpower doesn't work. And so you can't really rely on willpower to make a lasting change in your life. It will run out and you won't be able to go forward. So in this book, he talks about this concept. And the interesting part is that he makes the point that the magic isn't in the willpower, it's in how you set up your environment. So if you're still talking about the idea of waking up early, um, which is a simple example, you could change your environment in a few different ways to 
make that happen. You could maybe invest in some uh, blackout curtains so that your room is darker and you sleep better. You might go to sleep a little bit earlier. You might turn off the TV earlier or put your phone away earlier so you can get to sleep at a different time. Uh, you may have to say no to some things you used to say yes to that are maybe keeping you up late. And then suddenly, when you make those environmental changes, you find that when your alarm clock goes off, it's a little bit easier to wake up because you're actually well rested. So you're not relying on willpower as much anymore. You're relying on the changes that gave you better sleep. So that could, you know, we could use any number of examples to talk about that, um, where your environment could change, could help you make the change you're trying to make without relying so much on this brute willpower. And I think we understand that concept a little bit better now in general. I've seen a few more people talking about, you know, it's not just willpower that doesn't really work. Um, there are other factors involved in making change. But the bottom line is that for any lasting change in your life, any drastic lasting change, we will always get tired and willpower will always fail us. So why do we still sometimes rely on willpower in our Christian experience? And I know that some of you are probably thinking, I don't. It's all by the power of Jesus, right? And that's true. That's the right answer. And I know that we're taught to say things like that, and we believe that, essentially. But think about it. If the things that you're doing, you do with gritted teeth, because you think you have to, because you know you're supposed to, you might be relying on willpower. If we're constantly thinking, okay, I have to do this, and I have to do this, and I definitely have to do this, or they'll think this of me, or, you know, what are they going to say if I don't do this, so I guess I should, or I should just grin and bear this, and going through. If that's the sum of your Christian experience, you might be relying on willpower. And I think that there's an argument to be made, and, and some of you are probably thinking, well, even if we do it with gritted teeth, even if we do it with a smile, when we don't feel it, isn't that the power of the Holy Spirit helping us do the thing we don't want to do because we know we should? That's also true, but I also want to argue that if, even if we have some reliance on God, there still might be too much willpower in your Christian experience. You might still be relying on willpower to do the things that you think you're supposed to do. But the thing is, and the point I want to make right now is that Jesus didn't die to change our behavior. He died to change our hearts and to completely transform us. And there's no willpower of ours that fits into that equation. So going back to our scripture reading this morning, which was Romans 12:2. Feel free to turn there with me if you would like. Romans 12, 2 says, the first part, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And I want to highlight the, this idea of the renewal of your mind. So what this verse is saying is that our mind becomes new. Our mind changes. So that means a variety of different things, but if you have a new mind, if something about you has been renewed, it means that the things you maybe used to obsess over, you don't obsess over anymore. And the things that used to bother you aren't worth your energy anymore. Or the things that were harder to understand in the past 
suddenly it might make more sense. When you have a new mind, it means that something has completely transformed. And I'm not talking about the attacks that we all feel from time to time, you know, the enemy trying to derail our relationship with God. That's not going to go away. But what I'm saying is that Christians should be experiencing radical transformation. And the word used there for transformed, it comes from the word metamorphosis. And so we're talking about a change that's so radical that we can actually compare it to a caterpillar turning into a butterfly. That is radical change. That's something that the end result does not look anything like where it started. Christians should be experiencing radical transformation in our lives and in our relationship with God. I also want to look at Ezekiel 26, 36. Did I write down the wrong verse? Yes, I did. Yeah, I'm sorry about that. So the verse that I am looking for is the one that says, I will take your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Sorry about that. If anyone knows that verse offhand, you're welcome to shout it out. <laughs> That's okay. 3626. Okay, so I wrote the, the verses down backwards. Okay. All right. <laughs> Good thing. Thank you. Okay, so... This verse talks about, I, I will take your heart of stone and I will give you a heart of flesh. So again, there's a, there's a direct comparison here. So how different is a stone from flesh? Probably couldn't be a whole lot more different. So again, when you have a new heart, your heart is different. It's been transformed. The things you used to love, you don't love anymore. The things you used to hate, you don't hate anymore. And the things that you maybe used to be drawn to, you're not as drawn to those things anymore. That's what radical heart transformation does. And I, I want to ask this question, who's doing the work here? God, he says, I, I will take your heart of stone and I will give you that heart of flesh. That's a gift, right? It's, this isn't a situation where you submit your request and you wait and you hope that it's approved and then you, you know, like, okay, if I meet all, you know, it's an offer. It's an offer that we have been given. This offer is on the table. And honestly, how humbling is it that the creator of the universe, this king of kings, this God that we serve has made this offer of transformation to us. And it's, it's easy to miss this, I think, because we have a clear idea of what Christianity looks like. And we have evidence, and, and we know what the evidence of transformation should look like. We have an idea of what that is. But sometimes because of that, we stop short and we miss the biggest piece of this. I want to look at another very important verse. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians.
Okay, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17. Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. So based on this verse, we're a new creation. We can be a new creation if what? If we're in Christ, exactly. So again, Christians, we're all like, yes, of course. We know this, obviously. Um, it's Jesus that does the transforming. If we're in Christ, we can be a new creation. We know this. But I think one of the most difficult lessons that Christians need to learn is that we can have Jesus in our lives without having Jesus in our hearts. Those two things are not the same. So you can, you can go to a Christian church every week and you can have, hang with your Christian family and your Christian friends and you can read all the Christian literature and you can be well-versed in a lot of Christian doctrine, but that does not necessarily mean that he's also in your heart. And these verses are very clear that if you are in Christ, that's when you become the new creation. If we want to be a new creation, we have to be in Christ. Turn with me to the book of Philippians. I'm double checking all my verses now before I tell you guys. <laughs> no, Philippians 2 verse 5. <laughs> Philippians 2, 5 says, Let that same mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And this is a verse that's fascinated me for a long time, and I've been pondering this one for a long time because I think it's so profound. Let that same mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus. That's a very profound verse. Do we realize when we read through our scripture readings and things like that, do we realize what that verse is telling us? That would require radical transformation. But the offer's on the table. The problem, though, is that we have to be connected to him. We can't just have him around us. He has to be in us. And that's something that happens on the inside. It's not something that we can fake on the outside or use willpower to accomplish. So when psychologists talk about the development of morality from childhood to adulthood, they put it in a few different categories. So first you start with babies. There's no morality, right? They're completely dependent on their caregiver to provide their needs, and they don't make conscious choices to do right or wrong. Eventually, though, you move into childhood. And in childhood, children rely on their parents to help them understand right and wrong. So there's some level of obedience involved. So when a child is told to do something, they don't do it because they're convicted of it when they're little. They do it because either there's going to be some sort of positive reward or some sort of negative punishment that they're trying to avoid. And that's how we teach children right and wrong. That's very normal. So children may do what they're told when they're very little, but it's generally because they, they trust you, they know you as their caregiver, and they do what they're told for one reason or another, but they, they have a reason. They're trying to avoid punishment, they're trying to gain some sort of <clears throat> reward. But after childhood, you move into 
the next level, which is more of an adolescent kind of a phase. And in this stage, it's a weird transition phase, as adolescence is in general, but there's a deeper understanding of right and wrong. So they understand the rationale behind why they should do something or not do something, but they still kind of do it for a reason, to get something back. And that might not be you know, a piece of candy like when you're little, but it's usually something in the form of praise from a respected elder, praise from their family, praise or recognition from some you know, social situation. So they will do what's right in an adolescent phase, but it's generally still to get some sort of reward. Um, sometimes you may do the right thing, but the motivation might be so that someone else thinks highly of you or has high regard for you. Then finally, we come to the adult phase, which is doing what's right because you're actually convicted of it. You do what's right regardless of the consequences, regardless of the reward, because you know and you are convicted that this thing is right regardless. And so those are, I mean, that's an oversimplification, but that's essentially how, how people develop morality. But a big problem that I think we face is that we have churches full of Christians that are still living in that adolescent transactional Christianity. So they understand the rationale behind why we do what we do, why we should do certain things and not do certain things, but the motivation hasn't quite reached that level of because it's right, because I'm convicted. There may still be some external motivation such as, well, I want the pastor to think highly of me. Well, I do this because I want, I want them to think that I'm spiritual. Or I do this because, you know, they'll think poorly of me if I don't, and I can't deal with that. I need to maintain my reputation. So even though there's a general sense of people doing what's right, the motivation has not reached that deeply internal conviction level. It's still based on external factors. But the problem is that if we're still living in that type of level, um, it's really not that much different than willpower Christianity. And both of those things are a joke. That's not real Christianity. And there's a lot of smart people out there having really interesting conversations about how a major piece of what's wrong with society in general is that we have adults running around everywhere that are still living in that transactional type of morality where you know it's to get something. What does this do for me? What can I get from this? And I think that's basically true, um, essentially, that morality is, true morality is becoming more rare and we only do what's right when it serves us. That, that's definitely common out there. But my point is it should be different in here. People talk about why it's so hard to get people in here that you know, the world is so appealing and uh, you know, society is just getting worse and worse. And that's all true. But I wanna say here today that if there's no transformation in here, then we're just another club with a big rule book. Without transformation, we're not different. The word witness used to really bother me for some reason, as a, the way that we use it here, like a verb, like we go witnessing or I witnessed to that person. 
And it just used to, I'm like, I don't know if that's a word. Like, <laughs> it doesn't make sense. Um, and it took me a while to figure out why that irritated me. And I think it's because the idea of sh simply sharing information with somebody isn't really witnessing. Information exchange is not witnessing because to be a witness, you have to have experienced something. And if you haven't experienced something, then it's just hearsay. And there's no power in hearsay. Willpower Christianity does not work. And we pray about a lot of things individually in our lives and as a church, we pray. And you know, we pray for healing for our loved ones and we pray for healing for ourselves. We pray for relief from financial difficulty. We pray for safety when we're traveling and when others are traveling. We should pray about every single one of those things. We should take all of our cares and concerns to God. But do we ask for real transformation in our lives? Do we ask God for that? Because he's offered it. But do we ask for it? And if we do ask, is our environment conducive to that sort of radical change? And look, I'm not here to, to tell you what you need to do to make a change in your environment. Um, you know, to give you a list and say, do these things and have a better environment or, you know, some sort of checklist. I'm not here to tell you what needs to change. I actually don't think that's what pulpits are for. But, I'm also, you know, I'm also not here to give some generic answer about, you know, just, just have more faith. Just, just do it. Have more faith. Find a way to have more faith. Or find a way to pray more. Just pray more. Because I'm not going to ask you to do something that essentially would push you toward relying on willpower. Do we ask for that radical change? And is our environment conducive to that radical change? And, you know, I will say that if you're asking for that radical change and you're struggling, if it feels like things are so hard right now and that you're being challenged in ways that you've never been challenged before, the best recommendation that I can give as an, another person who struggles the exact same way is to find a quiet place and sit in silence for a while with your God. And he will tell you. You don't need a person to tell you what needs to stay and go in your life. You have access to a living relationship with this God that created you. And he will communicate with you but you have to listen. If you always let someone else be the voice of conviction in your mind, then you'll never learn what his voice actually sounds like. And then, when you're faced with a critical decision or a critical challenge, you will stumble because you never learned for yourself what his voice sounds like. The beautiful thing about this is that we can ask. We've been given access to this transformation this promise that he will make a new creation out of us. And it's an offer that God is wa anxiously waiting for us to accept. He wouldn't offer it if he didn't want us to take him up on it. You know, because of the cross, we have access to this transformation. And because of the cross, we as Christians have an opportunity to say, it's no longer I who live, 
but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live, I live in faith because of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Thank you. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come to you today and we claim this transformation that you have promised us. We believe in your words, we believe in your truth, and as people we fall short. We have such a tendency to rely on ourselves, to rely on our willpower. And God, we see in scripture that that is not the answer, that the only way to be transformed is to rely wholeheartedly on you and to rest on your promises. And I ask on, for each of us in this room that you would give us that transformation, that you would change our hearts, renew our minds, and make us different people so that when we are out in the world, that we can share something that we have actually experienced. We thank you for the blessing of, of coming together today to worship and for the blessing of, of supporting each other and praying with each other through any of our challenges. And I ask that you would continue to make us stronger and continue to give us the strength to live out the truth that we believe in. In your name I pray, amen.